Welcome to the Cleaning and Crime Podcast. My name is Elise, and if you're wondering about the name, (laughs) I love to listen to true crime while I clean. So because cleaning and true crime are my two loves, I've combined the two. And every week I post a new whole house cleaning motivation video on my YouTube channel, See Elise. And in the corner of the video, I'm in a little bubble telling you about a true crime case that's interesting to me. So cleaning and crime. But for some, the cleaning footage is too distracting. Or some people just prefer to listen to their true crime and not watch it. If you want to check out the video version of today's story, be sure to check out my YouTube channel and you'll find a playlist of all of my cleaning and crime episodes. But if you just came here for the crime and not the cleaning, you're in the right place. I'm uploading my older episodes of Cleaning and Crime in podcast form, and once all the old ones are up and I'm caught up, my upload schedule will be weekly, the same day the video version goes up on YouTube. Some of the earlier episodes do have slightly lower sound quality than the newer episodes, and that's just reflective of improving my skills as I went, but also, in the beginning, I only ever intended for these to be videos. So as the episodes progress, hopefully you'll notice the sound quality improving. Trigger warning, this is a true crime podcast. Some episodes may be disturbing to some listeners. Be sure to check the show notes for each episode for specific trigger warnings. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. Today's true crime story is bonkers. Today we're talking about the kidnapping of Shannon Matthews on February 19th, 2008. Nine-year-old Shannon was reported missing in Dewsbury, West Yorkshire, England and her disappearance became a major missing persons police operation in the UK. On the edge of town is an area called Dewsbury Moor, which is made up of council estates. Now, if you're unfamiliar with council estates, if you're not from the UK and you live in the US like me, it's essentially government housing, low income housing. Within the council estates included Moorside Estate, and that's where Shannon and her family lived. Shannon Matthews was born on September 9th, 1998, so her mother, Karen, and Karen had grown up in Dewsbury. She dropped out of school at 16 and she had her first child at 17. Karen then met her first husband, Leon, and pretty quickly after meeting, just after a few months, Karen was then pregnant with her second child. The strain of being young parents with two young children was definitely taking a toll on the relationship, but very quickly Karen became pregnant again with her third baby, which would be Shannon. And Shannon was born when Karen was 23. So 23, three young babies, and it was well known in her family that Karen was not coping well. She was definitely struggling with motherhood. And there were also signs of neglect of the two boys that Karen had at home. So right when Shannon was born, Karen's parents, so Shannon's grandparents, took her home straight from the hospital to raise her. They didn't want to add another kid into Karen's house when she was already struggling with the two that she had. So they're like, we'll take this one. But after a few months of Karen's parents raising her daughter, she went to them and said, I want my kid back. So she went and got Shannon and took her home to be with her two brothers. But she had no intention of keeping up the level of care that the grandparents had been doing. I mean, she straight up didn't buy diapers. Like that shit's expensive. She would use strips of curtains and towels and even plastic bags instead of buying diapers. Now she did get child benefit money from the government, but she spent all of that on beer and cigarettes. She didn't want to spend that on diapers. Like how's she going to afford beer? Now, when Shannon was two years old, her father, Leon, he was like, I'm over this. But Karen was like, well, don't leave me with all three of these kids. Like, take one of them. So Leon took his son, who was Karen's second born. Leon actually moved about 10 miles down the road, so he wasn't far. He maintained 
permanent custody of his son and Karen maintained permanent custody of Shannon. Now just a few months after Leon packed up and moved out, Karen shacked up with a new guy and she was soon pregnant again with her fourth child. Shortly after baby number four was born, that boyfriend wanted to peace out too, so Karen kicked him out and said, take your kid with you. Then she did this two more times. A new boyfriend would move in, she would get pregnant, get out and take your kid with you. After Karen had baby number six, she kicked that boyfriend out, but kept baby number six. And then she moved to Moorside Estate. So when Karen moved the kids to Moorside Estate, she had six kids from five different fathers, but three of them came with her to Moorside Estate. You got me? So shortly after Karen moved Shannon and her two brothers to Moorside Estate, Karen met Craig. And Craig was the ripe old age of 18, and Karen was 28. Robin the Cradle. Craig moved in very quickly because a convenience, but also it was a great location because Craig's sister actually lived next door to Karen. So that was very convenient as well. And there was a lot of family dotted all over the council estates on Craig's side and on Karen's side. And shortly after Craig moved in with Karen, Karen fell pregnant again with baby number seven. Now, since there was so much friends and family around, people were aware there was some neglect of the children going on in the house. Karen was still refusing to buy diapers. There was never food in the house. The cupboards were empty. They always ate frozen dinners or takeaway or junk food. A lot of people mentioned that the kids were filthy. The house was filthy. So social services was making visits and in around late 2002, early 2003, all the kids at Karen and Craig's house were placed on the council's at-risk register. Social workers were concerned with heavy alcohol and drug use in the house. They were concerned that it was very dirty and smelly. It smelled very strong of cigarettes. There was just garbage everywhere and takeaway containers. It was determined that Karen would need frequent and constant support from social services because she was incapable of putting her children's needs above her own. However, about a year later, the kids were removed from the at-risk register, the visits became less frequent, and then they started calling in advance. Karen's mother said, oh, I knew when social services were coming because Karen would call me and ask for money. And I would say, why do you need money? And she would say, I need to fill up the covers with food. Social services is coming. And she would have a chance to tidy up a bit to make it look like she was getting her shit together. Craig did work during the day as a fishmonger. Karen stayed home and watched daytime TV and smoked cigarettes. Shannon did get frequent visits with her dad, Leon. She loved going to Leon's house. She loved getting to see her brother. She got along well with Leon's wife. She loved to escape the chaos and the unstable environment of her mother's house and go to Leon's house. But unfortunately, Leon and Karen ended up having a big argument and a falling out over money, and Karen cut Leon off and wouldn't allow Shannon to go over to his house anymore, which is so sad and horrible. And Shannon would dream about leaving her mother's house and going to live with her father, and she actually wrote on her bedroom wall in marker where her wallpaper was peeling, I want to live with my dad. Just a few months after Shannon was unable to see her father anymore, her school actually called social services again because Shannon was having a really hard time concentrating. She couldn't focus on reading, writing, or math for long periods of time. And they also called because she was filthy. She was covered in dirt. Her clothes were often unlaundered. She had head lice. There was obvious neglect going on in the home. On the evening of February 18th, 2008, Shannon had gotten in an argument with her mother, Karen, and Karen's boyfriend, Craig. And it escalated to the point where Shannon actually swore at Craig. And she ran out of the house crying and ran down the street to her uncle Martin's house because he lived in the neighborhood and he was very close. And she begged him to let her sleep over at his house that night. And he had heard that before and he was reluctant to say no, but like 
You don't want to interfere someone else's parenting, you know? So he ended up letting her stay for the evening and hang out with her cousins and calm down. But then before bedtime, he had his 10 year old daughter, so Shannon's cousin, walk her back home. And Shannon cried the whole way home. Shannon woke up the next day and she was really excited because in the UK, in, in some areas of the UK, for your fourth year, you actually get to go to swimming lessons through the school. And so this was gonna be her first day of swimming lessons, something to look forward to. So she got herself ready, was headed out the door to go to school, but Karen was already awake. The arguments from last night rolled over and continued. Karen told Shannon, get out of the house and don't come back. So Shannon walked the half mile walk to school and bumped into her cousins along the way, told them what had happened, but that was nothing new. But this would be the last time that Shannon exited her Dewsbury home, the last time she walked to school, the last time she saw her cousins and her school friends, and the last time she would attend school in Dewsbury. So Shannon went to school and to her swimming lessons like normal, rode the bus home with her friends, got off the bus, said goodbye to her friends and her cousins. And when Karen came home at 3.30 and Shannon wasn't home yet, she didn't think much of it. She did tell her not to come back after all. So Karen decided to go shopping with Angela, Craig's sister who lives next door. When Karen came back from shopping just before 7 p.m. and Shannon still wasn't home, she panicked immediately and called the 999. The dispatcher asked Karen if Shannon had run away before, if there was any arguments or anything going on in the family, and Karen said, nope, nothing. She said she had checked with all the family and friends and that there was no sign of Shannon. So police showed up at their house in the Moorside Estates very quickly, within minutes. Police told Karen and Craig that they needed to search the house and look for anything that might give them clues as to where Shannon had gone. And Craig became very upset at this. And he asked the police, what are you accusing us of? But police explained to him like, this is routine procedure. Shannon's missing. We need to look for notes or something on a computer that might be suspicious. And we need to look in closets to see if she's not just hiding and you haven't found her yet because you'd be surprised how often that happens. After the police explained that, Craig calmed down and the police were able to search. Now seeing police cars out front of the house, friends and family started showing up coming over to the house. Like what the hell's going on? And the search for Shannon began shortly after that. Police teams, friends, family, neighbors, all started searching the area thoroughly. Flashlights walking around, calling her name. But after searching, everywhere a child might hide, all through the entire night, and there was no sign of Shannon, police began to realize the grim reality of a nine-year-old girl being out all night by herself. And it was February, it was cold. It had gotten down to negative four degrees Celsius or 25 Fahrenheit that night. So if they didn't find her and she was just out there that night, at the very least, she would be hypothermic if they found her. Now, having not found Shannon in the typical places that a nine-year-old girl would run away to or hide in, police started to suspect that this may be an abduction and not just a runaway or a missing kid. Police took items from Karen and Craig's home that they thought might contain information to help them locate Shannon, notebooks, computers, things like that. And they also noticed the writing on Shannon's wall that said, I want to live with my dad. Now this community that they lived in, it, it's pretty incredible how they banded together to try and find this little girl. People took time off of work, abandoned their own families to come and help and search. People from neighboring towns that had never even met them came to help find this little girl. Now having not found Shannon as the 24 hour mark was creeping up, police called a press conference and they wanted to be very careful 
with their choice of words. The prior nine months, this area and this neighborhood and this country has been bombarded with news coverage of the Madeleine McCann disappearance. So the police knew that this area was already hypersensitive to a situation of a young missing girl. They knew this area was well aware of the statistic that if you don't find a missing kid within the first 24, 48 hours, it's almost like 96% chance you're not gonna find them and you might not find them alive. Now, if you're a true crime buff, you probably are familiar with the Madeleine McCann disappearance. If you're not, it is the case from the UK where a wealthy family, both the parents were doctors, were on vacation at a resort in Portugal. Several couples, all the adults, they went out to a restaurant on the resort and left the kids sleeping in the resort bedroom. They had baby monitors on the kids and the parents were taking turns going back every 30 minutes or so to check on the kids. And one of the visits back, their three-year-old Madeline was missing. It was a huge case. It was very famous. And that case comes up a lot throughout this case. The families were in close proximity, but in completely different social classes. And the media in this case is such an interesting aspect of it for me. Like the public saw the McCann family, they're like, oh, I can't believe it. This family of doctors lost their kid. It could happen to anyone. And then they would be seeing the coverage of the Shannon Matthews disappearance and they'd say, oh, well, didn't that mother bring it upon herself? And the media took that, in essence, creating what people in the UK sometimes call it poverty porn. The middle class in their warm, big houses, they're gonna eat this shit up. And they would talk about how she was poor and how she had so many children from so many fathers. The media was comparing and contrasting Karen with the McCann family, the way the media handled all of the press with Shannon's disappearance shed a lot of light on the fact that the McCann family got way more coverage than Shannon's disappearance. And the media was heavily scrutinized for social bias. I just wanted to mention it because it's super interesting. So because police knew the impact media has on cases like this, they made it very clear that their main priority was to find Shannon quickly, healthy and alive. And they also told Karen and Craig to avoid talking to the media. They're like, look, we will handle the media side of things. If information gets out there that hasn't been run by us first, it could be putting Shannon at risk. But then that day, Karen's on her front porch crying to a TV camera, appealing to the public, help find my daughter. If you have my daughter, bring her home. So she completely disregarded what the police told her and went on camera. Meanwhile, more than 200 cops from neighboring cities have come to help search for Shannon, as well as 60 detectives being dispatched to this case. This search for Shannon was huge. People spent money and resources making flyers and leaflets and t-shirts, huge organized searches, candlelight vigils, body sniffing dogs. There's 27 total in the UK and 16 of them were sent to Dewsbury to sniff for Shannon. Divers were diving in lakes. And this search and this investigation ended up costing about three million pounds. It was wild. And it was at this point that the police pretty much told everybody, okay, stop with the, the physical searches. We need to take a different approach to find her. If you're gonna go out looking for her, A, if you stumble across a crime scene, it's gonna be very traumatic, but it's also going to disturb evidence. It's gonna disturb the crime scene. And the police started making a family tree. Typically, if a child goes missing, they're taken by someone they know. So they started in with Karen and Craig trying to put together a family tree so they can make sure they interview everyone that's come into contact with Shannon so they don't miss anybody. Now, normally a family tree would be a quick little ch -ch -ch on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. But as you can imagine with Karen having seven children, 
from six different fathers, and then all of the live-in partners that she's ever had were included, and then all of Craig's family, and all the cousins, and all of the family members that branch off from the fathers of her children. It was huge, and as the days passed, police ended up knocking on like 3,000 doors. That's a lot of doors. <laughs> Now on March 1st, so we're at like the 10, 11 day mark since Shannon went missing. And Karen goes in front of the cameras again and makes another public appeal to help find Shannon holding a teddy bear, crying for the cameras. It's announced then that a local business had put 5,000 pounds up as a reward. And then the Sun newspaper also put another 20 grand into that. But time was flying and there was still zero sign of Shannon. 12 days after that, we're up to March 12th. The Sun newspaper actually raised the reward and now it's 50,000 pounds. Police received a phone call from one of Craig's family members because they were suspicious of another family member, Mike Donovan. Now, Mike Donovan was Craig's uncle. And this family member that called the police said that they actually hadn't heard from Donovan in weeks. And then out of the blue, this family member gets a phone call from Mike Donovan. And Donovan asks him, hey, have you talked to the cops? And yeah, I talked to the cops. The cops are talking to everyone. Well, if they talk to you again, don't mention me. And so this family member was like, okay. And then hung up and immediately called the cops because what the fuck, that's so suspicious. Now Mike Donovan lived less than a mile away from Karen and Craig's house. So it's odd that he didn't make it onto the family tree, must have slipped Craig's mind. So police look into Mike Donovan and they find that he has a criminal record. He actually had two children that were taken away from him and put into foster care. He went to the school and tried to take one of his girls home with him and he was arrested. This is obviously the only lead they have gotten in this entire investigation. And Shannon's been missing for weeks at this point. So police go straight to Mike Donovan's house and they bang on the door. You know that police knock? Boom, boom, boom. Nobody's answering the door. But it was so loud and the neighbor heard it. it was like, oh, that sounds like the police are knocking. So the neighbor asks police what the hell's going on and they tell her we're looking for Mike Donovan. She tells police, well, he's been home today. I've heard him home and his car's out front, so he should be in there. Also, I feel like I should mention, uh, I've been hearing child's footsteps in the house for weeks, even when Mike's not there. So I thought I would mention that. And the cops were like, that's enough for us. And they bust down the front door and they search the whole place and nothing. And they're just getting to that point where they're like, oh shit, maybe we made a mistake and shouldn't have broken down the door. They hear a child's voice muffled, stop it. You're frightening me now. Let's try to do a British accent. One cop thinks he hears it under the bed. So he looks and he sees Shannon's head, little head popping out from under the bed. He quick grabs her and snatches her up and starts taking her out of the house. Just like, oh my God, completely in shock. He cannot believe it. He found Shannon and he found her alive. So he's walking her outside, walking her out the front door and he's asking her, Shannon, where is he? Where's Mike? And she said, he's where I was. And the cop says, in the house. And she's like, no, under the bed. The other cops are like, oh shit. So they run back in and they find Mike under the bed. Now the bed, it was described as like kind of altered, like like built for a place to hide. And so Mike was curled up in there and they're like, come out. And he's like, no, but they did get him out. Now Donovan's flat was searched and they found a long fabric strip hanging through a hole in the ceiling up to the beam of the roof. Donovan had been using that to tether Shannon and it was long enough that she could get to the bedroom and the bathroom and that's about it. They also found 
a bunch of pill bottles, motion sickness pills and sleeping pills. And they also found the Sun newspaper that was the issue talking about the 50,000 pound reward. And they also found a handwritten note of rules that Donovan had written for Shannon. You must not make any noise or bang your feet. You must not go near the windows. You must not get anything or do anything without me, Ben here. Keep the TV volume low, only up to eight or lower. You can play the Super Mario games and you can play some DVDs and you can play the CD music. I-P-U, which apparently means I promise you. <sighs> Pretty weird. So calls started going out and we found Shannon alive. The news spread like a fire. People in Moorside Estate were screaming, Shannon's been found alive. Everyone's crying and hugging. A spontaneous party erupts in the streets. Everyone came out to celebrate. They're drinking everything they can find. Local businesses are donating champagne and beer. People brought out music. Somebody found some fireworks. People were dancing in the streets and ripping up the missing person posters and throwing them in the air. It was wild. Everybody was just so thrilled. It was 24 days that this girl was missing and she was found alive. Media shows up, sticking cameras in Karen and Craig's faces. Karen was kind of burying her face in Craig's arm, which was a new one. Typically she was crying and speaking to the cameras, even though police told her not to. But now that Shannon's been found, now she's hiding. And you can hear a friend in the background saying, smile woman. For Christ's sake, Karen, smile! And when she finally gives the camera a smile, you can hear cheering in the background. Now, as the celebration erupted in Dewsbury, Shannon was taken to be looked at to make sure she wasn't hurt. Mike Donovan was placed in the squad car to take him to prison. And as soon as they shut those doors to the squad car, Mike Donovan sang like a canary and said, go get Karen, get Karen down here. We had a plan. Whoa. As soon as they get Donovan to the police station, he writes this long confession and explains his side of the story. He told police that Karen told him, I need you to take Shannon and hold on to her for me. I'm gonna tell the police that she's been kidnapped. Now when the reward money gets up to 50,000 pounds, Donovan was gonna take Shannon to the Dewsbury market, like this big open market, and just kind of like send her off to go wander around. Then he was gonna like, pop around the corner and be like, oh my God, Shannon! And the whole thing would be caught on CCTV for proof that he found her. And then he was gonna take her to the police station and get the reward money and then split it with Karen. And he told police that he had to go through with it because Karen threatened him that if he didn't do it, she would send three big men to hurt him. Now, police were obviously surprised, but they weren't shocked. They already found Karen to be quite suspicious and there were many red flags throughout the search for Shannon. In the UK, the family of the victim is given a family liaison officer. It's essentially a police officer or representative that is the middleman between the family and the investigators. Now a liaison officer was sent to Karen and Craig's home and the first officer ended up calling for a second one because Karen was so odd and wanted someone with lots of experience to help deal with Karen. The second family liaison officer that showed up found Karen to be very immature, very childlike. The first day that that officer gets there, she meets Karen for the first time and the officer's cell phone rings and she had her cell phone programmed to play a ringtone, like a pop song. And apparently Karen jumped up and was like, I love this song and just started dancing. Dancing to the ringtone. And the liaison officer was like, I just met you. Your daughter's missing. <laughs> Pretty weird. <laughs> She was always joking around. She was always in a good mood, 
which I know you're supposed to try and stay positive in stressful situations like this, but she seemed like she was kind of having fun. But as soon as a camera pointed at her, the waterworks would start. She'd cry, appeal to the media, please find my daughter, uh, and as soon as the cameras were off, back to joking. Red flag. There was one instance that the liaison officer remembered where there was a camera pointed at their house and Karen was sitting there watching her own house live on TV and she started jiggling the curtain. And then you could see the curtain jiggling on the TV. <laughs> That's so funny. And she was just having a great old time jiggling that curtain. Like it was a big joke. Like this was all fun and games. Just even the fact that she talked to the media, cops told her not to. If you talk to the media, you're putting your daughter in danger. And she's like, immediately on camera. One instance, um, Karen's best friend started to become suspicious because Karen was gonna do the March 1st television appeal and Karen's friend had gone up to the kids' room and like looked for toys and found a teddy bear and brought it down to Karen and was like, hey, is this, is this Shannon's? And Karen's like, I don't know. And she just took the teddy bear and held it and cried showing Shannon's teddy bear and called Shannon my sweet princess daughter. Later, the friend was like, Karen never called Shannon princess, and it wasn't even her damn teddy bear. And one of the biggest red flags was that one of Karen's family members called the McCann family for Karen. Now the McCann family, they had amassed a large sum of money to help in the search for Madeline. There were so many donations from famous people. I mean, there was a lot of money and Karen wanted a piece of it. So she had a family member call and ask the McCann family to make a donation to the fund to find Shannon. But the police that were looking for Shannon had gotten wind of the fact that the McCanns wanted to donate and they called them. Don't donate, there's some weird shit going on. We're already suspicious of this family. You don't wanna get your name mixed up in this. It's getting juicy, getting juicy. Police go to pick up Craig and Karen to take them to see Shannon. And they were waiting for Karen's barrage of worried mother questions like, what happened to her? Where was she? Was she hurt? None of these questions came. She just said, oh, you found her, okay. Grabbed her purse, let's go. When Karen and Shannon were reunited, Shannon ran right up to Karen and hugged her. But then after that, Karen just sat down next to the family liaison officer and just looked bored. So police obviously suspected that Karen was involved in Shannon's disappearance. So they brought her to the police station to question her, but she just denied everything. So the police needed time. They needed to figure out what the hell was going on. So they actually kept Shannon away from her family and put her in foster care until they could figure out what the fuck, you know? Shannon was given a blood test upon rescue and it was found she was drugged with motion sickness pills and sleeping pills. But they also tested her hair. They were able to go back quite a distance. When you test your hair, you can see how long you've been on drugs and, and even when you were given them. And they ended up finding out that Shannon had been given those specific drugs for upwards of 20 months before she even went missing. And there were spikes of those medications that lined up with her summer and winter breaks. All this time for like two years, this poor kid has been drugged to keep her quiet in the house so that maybe Karen can sit in her chair and enjoy her daytime TV and smoke her cigarettes without being bothered. So it's also suspected that these drugs were the reason that Shannon was having trouble in school and why she was having trouble concentrating. And since she was so young and she'd been drugged for such an extended period of time, she wouldn't have been able to find the words to be like, I'm feeling groggy and having trouble concentrating. Maybe I've been drugged. What the 
great parenting. Ugh. Karen just wanted to drink beer and smoke cigarettes and watch soap operas. Is that so much to ask? Back in Dewsbury, friends and family are starting to get suspicious. Why isn't Shannon coming home? Why aren't you shocked that your boyfriend's uncle was the one that kidnapped your kid? And friends and family started questioning her. And Karen started coming up with various stories to try and explain everything. She told one friend, I've never even heard of Mike Donovan. I never met him. Other friends were saying, well, we know Karen knew Donovan. We saw her at a funeral for a family member and her and Donovan really hit it off and we caught her sitting on his lap at one point in the kitchen. <gasps> Other friends were spreading rumors that Karen and Donovan were having an affair. And during the course of the investigation, police took DNA from all of the kids and Craig and Karen and police had to break the news to Craig that that baby that Karen said was his, not Craig's. Jerry, Jerry. <laughs> then Karen was arrested and Craig was arrested, but Craig wasn't arrested for anything to do with Shannon. He was arrested because when the cops took all the computers out of the house, they found child pornography on Craig's computer. When Karen was arrested and questioned about the kidnapping, she gave police about eight different stories. Donovan's lying. He made the whole thing up. I had nothing to do with it. Then several iterations later, it changes to, well, I sent Shannon to Donovan's to babysit. Craig's abusive. I'm gonna leave him. So I'll leave Shannon with Donovan. But then it all went wrong. She couldn't do it. She couldn't leave Craig. So she panicked and said she was kidnapped. She said it just went out of control because she was too scared to tell Craig the truth. Come on, Karen. Lie better. So everyone, Craig, Karen, Mike Donovan, they're all handed their charges, released on bail, waiting for trial. And the neighborhood was talking. Karen's two closest friends called the family liaison officer and they're like, hey bitch, we're gonna get Karen to talk. And the officer's like, cool, I'm in. So the family liaison officer goes and picks up Karen. And then she swings by and picks up the two best friends that hop in the back seat and the friends proceeded to grill Karen. We know there's some weird shit going on. You knew where she was the whole time, didn't you? Karen burst into tears. You're right, it's all true. And she said, people are gonna hate me now. In the end, Craig, he was sentenced to 20 weeks in prison. However, he was actually in pretrial detention for longer than that. So he was just given time served and let go, cool. Karen and Mike Donovan had a joint trial. On the stand, Karen constantly sobbed. She denied any involvement in her daughter's kidnapping and she blamed Craig. She said he forced her to take the blame and she did it because she was scared of Craig. Prosecutor said, Karen, this is your fifth version of the truth. And Karen said, well, this, this one, this one is the, the real truth. Both Karen and Mike Donovan were found guilty of kidnapping, false imprisonment, and perverting the course of justice. They both received a sentence of eight years. Eight years. And Karen got out in four, and Donovan got out even sooner than that. Shannon and all the other siblings that lived with Craig and Karen got put into foster care, were given new names, new identities. When Karen got out of prison after serving four years, she too got a new identity, a new name, and a makeover all at taxpayers' expense. What the fuck is that? 
Now there are a lot of opinions and a lot of theories about what really went down. And really we don't know exactly what happened and we probably never will. But a lot of people theorize that Karen and Mike Donovan could not have pulled this off on their own. They were like one day away from doing the drop and getting the reward money. But if that family member hadn't have called in and said, hey, check into Mike Donovan, they might have gotten away with it. Now Karen, she was diagnosed with a borderline learning disability. She didn't finish school. She was described as childlike and immature. She couldn't maintain a household. She couldn't pay her bills. The house often had no lights, no heat. Do we really think that she was the mastermind behind all this? And Mike Donovan spent his entire life in special education. And if you look at that list of rules that he wrote and left for Shannon, it looks like a fifth grader wrote that. I don't buy it personally. Maybe it was them. Maybe maybe two, two halves made a whole and they, they got this plan. I feel like there was someone else or multiple people that were like pulling the strings. I don't know. In the end, there are more questions about this case than answers. The important thing is Shannon was found alive. She was taken away from her mother, given a clean slate and a fresh start. Such a bummer though is that she just got taken away, didn't get to see any of her family, her friends, her classmates, again. Like why couldn't she have gone to live with her father? But I don't know, maybe they were trying to protect her from her mother or from the press. I don't really know. I know that she struggled with nightmares after she was rescued, but she was given lots of therapy. Hopefully she was able to put this behind her, get some closure, move on with her life, and I hope she's very happy and, and doing well. Thank you for listening to Cleaning and Crime. If you'd like more content from me or you want to see the cleaning side of things, check me out on YouTube or TikTok or follow my socials, all of which are under the name C. Elise, S-E-E-E-L-I-S-E. -E -E -E. If you have any questions or any case ideas that you'd like to share, email me at cealiseclean at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. These episodes include my personal opinions, and all information is compiled by me using references that are publicly available. Sources are included in the show notes. All parties described are innocent until proven guilty. See you next time.